You can't mess up God's plan. You can't mess up God's plan because you are not that powerful and God is sovereign and we think too much of ourselves and too little of God. God is not surprised, God is not caught off guard, and God is not waiting on you. So today, we're going to talk about where God's plans lead us. Last week, we read the story of God's faithfulness to His Word in Luke chapter 1, and we focused on Mary last week. And so, as I was praying about what to teach this week and studying, I want to go right back to Luke chapter 1, but instead, we're going to look at the story of John, and we're going to look at the story of his father, Zechariah. So with that in mind, let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 1, and let's read this. Remember, Luke, the physician, wrote this, and so he's going to introduce himself and talk about the purpose of his writing and uh, kind of qualify some things in the beginning here. So Luke chapter 1, verse 1, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. So he's writing this to Theophilus. Verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, "'Do not be afraid, Zechariah.' For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time." And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people." Now, man, there's so much in this passage of text that we just read. 
So many things happening here. Here's Zechariah. He's a priest in the temple, and he's uh, the one chosen to go in, uh, into this holy place to burn incense in the temple of God. And any time that they would go into these holy areas, only this one priest would enter in. And so a lot of times what they would do just to make sure that this guy was actually going to survive this experience and this encounter with God, they would tie a rope around their waist or around their ankle uh, so that way if they died they could, you know pull them out, and they didn't have to go in there. And also, uh, the priest would have bells um, on their garment, so, you know, you could hear the jingle jangle. It's the jingle bells. And if you don't hear the jingle bells well, and you heard a thud, maybe there was something going on in that guy's life. Boom, he's dead. Uh, this was the way that they would approach the presence of the Lord in this fashion. And so, Zechariah was chosen for this by lot, which meant that this was a way that, uh, that they used to make decisions back then. You would even read in like the book of Jonah, how Jonah, how they cast lots to see that Jonah was the one that needed to be thrown overboard. And you see that in a variety of places in the Old Testament. And so, this was a more common practice. And so, here they cast lots. It was his turn. And so, Zechariah goes in there and they're not hearing anything for a while. They don't know what's going on. And uh, he's in there because he's having this encounter with an angel, and this angel is telling him something that seems impossible. If you'll remember the story from last week when we talked about the angel visiting Mary, something very similar happened when the angel came and spoke to Mary. And Mary was like, how can this be? I, I'm, I'm a virgin. What's, what's going on? What's, you know, uh, th this is one of those impossible things and uh, the angel says, the Holy Spirit's going to come and do this work, and he explains it to her, and she says, let this be done unto me as you have spoken. And so we see that there's two different encounters here that, that have happened, uh, and as we contrast those two encounters together, we see one ended very differently than the other one. And Mary said, let this be unto me as you've spoken, but then we see here that, uh, the, the, that John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, when he hears this news, he's all of a sudden now mute. And um, some people believe, and, and I personally believe, according to verse 62, which we'll read just a little bit later, that not only was he mute, but he was also deaf. Because if you look at the original language it was written in, um, the word mute can also, it's the same word as deaf. And so uh, the reason it being is that the people were trying to make signs to him in verse 62 to communicate something to him. And why would they do that? Why would they not just speak with their words? So um, I personally think that he was uh, mute and deaf in this point uh, because it is indeed the same word. And this promise that is made is the promise of this forerunner that's going to come before Jesus. It's going to prepare the way for the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. And he says he's going to be a Nazarite from birth, which means he's, he's going to be this person who um, the razor's not going to touch his head. You know, he's not going to touch the fruit of the vine, much like Samson. If you are a person who you've read the Bible or if you heard the story of Samson before, he took that Nazarite vow. So also did the prophet Samuel. And you can read about that in the scriptures. But uh, here you see that this guy is going to be someone who has a special dedication to God. He's got a special uh, purpose to God. And so God has called him, set him apart for his plan, for his purpose, to prepare the way of this coming Messiah, of this coming King. And so we also see that uh, this, there's an issue here with Zechariah and Elizabeth that sounds very akin and very familiar 
to the issue that we saw in Abraham and Sarah's life. The fact was that God said, I'm going to, you know, uh, make your descendants, you know, uh, more than the stars in the sky. And he made a promise to him he would be a father of many nations. And what's the first thing that Abraham said? I'm old, right? <laughs> I, I, don't you know, I'm an old guy. My, my wife, she's past childbearing years. And, and, and so you see the contrast, a very similar thing here, how God's using something that was seemingly impossible to do something incredible. And as we continue to read the story, we see in verse 24 and 25, talking about Elizabeth, that she had been barren her whole life. She had never had any children. And so back in that time, people would look at that as something, uh, as a curse from God, like it was thought they couldn't have children because it was some sort of curse. And so she said, this has been removed from me, this reproach among the people, though how everyone thought about her because she was not able to bear children. And so she said, the Lord has taken this reproach away from me. And one of the things that Zechariah wanted in this story is that he wanted a sign in order to believe. And it's very interesting. He ends up getting a sign, because, uh, but I don't think it was the one he was hoping for. I don't think it was the one he was prepared for or asking for. And sometimes we're asking for God to prove himself. We're asking God, you know, show me, prove yourself to me. Do something that I can know that this is legit. And this is kind of where Zechariah was. He was like, well, you know, how am I supposed to believe this? I mean, I'm, I'm an old guy. And the angel's like, in verse 19, I'm Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I speak to you to bring you this good news. He's saying, I came here to, to deliver you good news. I'm standing in the presence of God. So remember, if, if, if this, this person, Zechariah, if he's standing in the presence of God and, and there's something in his life that is unsatisfying to the Lord, this guy drops dead in the moment and yet this guy just appears in the presence of God. He's like, I'm standing here in the presence of God. I mean, is this not something that's communicating that I am indeed a messenger of the Lord? You should, you should trust this. I've brought you good news, but you're asking for something. You're asking for a sign. How are you going to know this? That was Zechariah's question. How am I supposed to know this is legit? Well, here's how you're going to know. You're going to be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. So there's your sign, buddy. Ooh, be careful what you ask God for, right? <laughs> and then uh, he, he said, but he said this, this is cool. This is really cool. I want you to catch this because God knew this. God saw all this. You'll be silent, verse 20, and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they wondered at his delay in the temple. They were wondering, uh oh, should we start tugging on the rope a little bit, right? You know, should we maybe pull him out because this guy's been longer than he should have been. And when he came out, I mean, he's just trying to play charades at that point. You know, he's trying to communicate to everyone what happened. You know, I guess it's like, uh, maybe, like you, you ate some bad food, you know, like what is it? Like birds, no, no, no. <laughs> he's trying to communicate. He's trying to help them understand what just happened, you know. And he's trying to let them know that he has indeed um, been visited by the Lord. <clears throat> but here's the thing. Uh, he wanted a sign and God made him deaf and mute as a sign until the promise was fulfilled. He was forced to submit for nine months, and in that time, his doubts and his fears and his lack of trust were corrected and confronted during that time. Because here's the thing, folks, and we need to remember this, God does not have to prove himself to anyone. He does not have to prove himself to you or to me. 
He does not have to do that. Zechariah's momentary affliction deepened his trust in God's word. And I guarantee you, it wasn't Zechariah's first choice, but God knew what needed to happen, and God used this in a way for his glory and for his furthering of his plan, because God's plan, God's will, and God's timing is not for ours to command or control. That's not our role. That's not our responsibility, and, uh, and, and God is not entrusting us with that. What our role is, is to trust and obey. Our role is to go, Lord, your will, not my will. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are better than my ways. My job is to recognize the Lord, to know the Lord, to seek God, and to know who he is and his character and his attributes. And when I see him leading, moving, working, and when things in my life may not be going the way that I want, I'm going to trust you through this season. I'm going to trust you through this time, and I'm going to know that you are good and that you are faithful and that you are going to do what you said you're going to do. Amen, church? And so we need to trust in that. And that's what we see here is that, man, Zechariah had this time to go through thinking the thoughts, probably replaying that encounter thousands of times over and over again in his mind, probably thinking about those words over and over again, and probably being frustrated <clears throat> with the fact that he can't communicate and elaborate on his thoughts, that he's just kind of alone to think in his head all day and replay those things. And I can look back on my life, and I, I can see how when I was in seasons that I didn't understand, when I was in seasons of confusion or in seasons of discouragement, or when I felt like I was alone, or I felt like uh, the whole world was just against me, and we've all been there at various times, and maybe you're there today. During those times, let me tell you something, God has not left you during those times just because you may feel alone or you may feel the pressures of this world. You're not alone, but at the same time, during those times, if the remedy's not coming, if the change isn't coming, if life's not getting any easier just because you prayed or just because maybe you fasted or because you, you, you made a decision to read the Word and you're going to internalize some scriptures or you're going to start going to church more or maybe you're going to start giving or maybe you're going to start serving and you're trying to somehow earn something for, from God or you're somehow trying to manipulate uh, the, the hand of God in order to make your life somehow easier or to relieve the current stress stress or pressure or situation that you may be facing and for everything to just wake up and all of a sudden it's just happy, happy, joy, joy, Disneyland every day. Everybody's happy and getting along and everything's working out according to my plan and my will. If that's what you think you're trying to accomplish, you're looking at your relationship with God in a pragmatic way where you're trying to put together some sort of formula to control God and God is not interested in that. That's not how he operates. We can see through the life of Jesus that even the way that he healed people was different. He didn't heal people the same way. So there's no pragmatism to healing where here's the formula, do these three things, take two, call me in the morning and you'll get your miracle. But that's what people think and that's what sometimes they buy into is this idea of if I just do all the right things, if I check all the right boxes, then my life will be problem-free, worry-free, I'll never have any challenges and we miss the mark. When we look at Jesus' life, we see that sometimes Jesus spoke to people. He wasn't even near them when he healed them. Sometimes they touched his clothes. Sometimes he laid his hand on them. Sometimes he spit in the ground and made mud pies and rubbed that mud on a blind dude's eyes. Sometimes 
Uh, he, he, would, he would go and be present. Sometimes he wasn't. And the miracles would still happen because Jesus and the, the way that he was operating, it wasn't this formula thing that you could just figure out and go, okay, well, how did he make the mud pie? What was the spit to dirt ratio? You know, let's get it just right. Or let's go find the dirt that Jesus spat in. Let's look for that dirt and let's go sell it in jars. You see, that's pragmatism. That's us trying to say, this is how God works, this is how we do it, and this is how we follow the formula and accomplish all the steps. And God doesn't have to prove himself to you. God doesn't have to show that he's going to do all these things just uh, because uh, maybe we're having doubts or maybe we're having fears. God has already proven himself faithful, amen? He's already shown himself to be faithful. We can read his word, see his faithfulness. We can see the very fact that we have breath in our lungs in this moment that God is faithful. He gave us another day. And our gratefulness and our thankfulness helps position our hearts to be able to recognize the hand of God in our lives. And so this is an opportunity to bring him glory with my life. So we need to understand that God's plan, will, and timing is not ours to command or control, but it is something where we say, yes, Lord, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to obey you. And just because I'm struggling, it doesn't mean God has abandoned you. So many people want to just give up. So many people want to quit. And that is the enemy's tactics to try to get you to go, oh, well, where's God in the middle of all this? We can read in his word and trust in his word. The same words that we read that help uh, us see our need for a savior and help us see Jesus is our savior are the same words that show us the faithfulness of God throughout all the generations. And I know that there are people in this room who can testify of the faithfulness of God. Anybody in the house, able to testify this morning. <laughs> Three people. Anybody in the, maybe somebody online uh, needs to testify today uh, because we need to realize and recognize God has been good. Now, I haven't always gotten my way, right? My way is not always good. I think it is but that's me elevating my thoughts higher than God. That's me thinking I know how to tell God what good means. Guess who gets to define what's good? God. There was a time when humanity wanted to define good and evil for themselves. Oh, wait a minute. That was the beginning, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Humanity wanted to define good for themselves instead of trusting in God's definition of goodness. And God's definition of goodness was this paradise, eat from every tree in the garden, just don't touch this one, because the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And we see that human history has proven we're trying to still fix ourselves. I mean, we can't even figure out if eggs are good or bad. Like, they're good, you know, like five years ago, but then they were bad five years prior to that. And then it's just the whites. Just eat the whites, not the yolk. And then, oh, the yolk is so good for you because it has all of these other things. And then don't eat eggs at all. Eat eggs substitute. Like, I'm not even sure what that's supposed to be made of. Um, but trust me, it's like eggs, but it's better for you. Don't eat them boiled. Eat them boiled. Don't have them fried. Have them fried. Have them any way you want. Put them on everything. Don't eat them. You need to limit the amount you have. We can't figure out if eggs are good or not. <clears throat> we need courts to interpret the laws that we've come up with to interpret the way we interpret the law. I don't understand. 
We're paying people a lot of money with taxes to figure out what somebody really meant. Because everybody's looking for loopholes. Why? What does that show you? It shows you our definition of good, our ways of uh, trying to manage and run things in this world, they are flawed. And we will never get it right. We're just going to keep on adding more layers and more layers, and people are going to keep arguing about what's good and what's right. Folks, um, the argument is over because God said what is good. God declared what is good. Because he's the one that gets to say what is good, not you and not me. God's the one who gets to say what is righteous, not you, not me. He's the one who's declared it. And so I need to trust in his definition and not try to control him or do something that I think is my way because I'm trying to help God out. And I'm trying to let him know, hey, I figured this thing out. And God's like, man, I'm so glad you showed up. I'm so glad you were born because, man, I was scratching my head for like ever. Like literally, I have no beginning and no end forever. Thank you. No. God gets to be good on his terms. God gets to define what good is. And so even Zechariah being struck mute and perhaps deaf in God's eyes was still good because it was used for his glory. Let's keep on reading in Luke chapter 1 and verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, because that was when they, uh, they, they practiced circumcision, according to the law. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Now, the reason is because the angel told both uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, you're going to name this kid John. And they're like, well, John's not a family name. Um, it is in Wisconsin because I know like 20 people named John <laughs> in this room at this very moment. <laughs> but in their day and in their family, John's not a family name. And they're going, nope, that's, uh, it's not a common name, not a family name that we use. We should be named Zechariah, but no, Elizabeth said, nope, he's going to be called John. And they, I guess the family members, the friends, the people that were gathered around to celebrate um, the circumcision of John said, none of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And that's the scripture where I believe that he was also deaf, because why would they make signs to him? Why wouldn't they just say, hey, what do you want? You know, instead of trying to come up with some sort of sign. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and what's the first thing he does? He spoke blessing to God. And fear came upon all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with them. So what happened here in this moment? God just confirmed to all of those doubters that were present, all those people who were more concerned about this kid being named, you know, Zechariah Jr. What happened in this moment was they all knew for the past nine months that Zechariah hadn't been able to speak and perhaps not able to hear. And then the day that John says, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm going to trust him what God spoke, 
I'm going to trust in what the angel had said, and the angel said it would be fulfilled on this day, on this time, and I'm going to confirm that I've wrestled through that, and I've submitted and said, yes, Lord, I'm trusting in you. What happens in that moment? Exactly what the angel had declared would happen. His, his, uh, his muteness and his, his perhaps even deafness was cured in that moment, and everybody saw it, and it caused them to go, wow, oh, God, wow, your hand is on this child. The fear of the Lord fell upon all those people who were present. They all of a sudden were shaken a little bit because they just thought they were attending another circumcision for a family member. But now all of a sudden, the atmosphere's changed. Something's different in this moment. Now they realize God's hand is on this kid for something special, and we need to let people know that they need to watch what God does in John's life. They need to see what God does through this, this, this one. And what is it doing? It's pointing people somewhere. It's doing something that is pointing them somewhere. Let's keep reading. Here's what happens in verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Wow, what an incredible thing here that Zechariah has begun to praise. You remember the story from last week when we talked about Mary, right? After Mary went and visited with her cousin, cousin Elizabeth, and she told her what had happened and how God had, had, had visited her and how she was going to be the one who was actually going to bring forth the Messiah, the promised one, uh, Elizabeth was just overwhelmed and said, wow, thank you, God. This is amazing. She praised God. And then Mary sang this song. She sang this song of praise because of the faithfulness of God and how God had been faithful to her, to her and to all the generations prior and how God is going to fulfill his promise. And then we see here, as soon as Zechariah's mouth is open, he begins to praise and glorify God and thank God for his faithfulness and thank God for the promise that he has spoken and that he is going to be faithful. And then he begins to declare things over John as the Lord shows him, as he's full of the Holy Spirit and, and the Lord shows him what John is supposed to do. And he speaks this over John and he sees that he's going to be the one who's preparing the way for the Savior. <clears throat> Excuse me. Submission to God's plan brings glory to God, even when it may bring difficulty for us. That's a fun thing to hear right before Christmas. Woohoo! All right, can't we talk about baby Jesus? Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> because baby Jesus is coming, but someone had to prepare the way. You see, all these things throughout history, as we read the scripture, we, people throughout, throughout history, they're trusting in the Lord. 
and they go back and forth and they make mistakes and they do things that, that, they, that all of a sudden, you know, you've got an Abraham who's got this promise and, and he goes, oh, well, we're going to try to make this happen. And he goes and sleeps with uh, his, his wife's handmaiden and, and gets her pregnant. And now she's going to be the one to have a son. But that wasn't the way God wanted this to happen. That wasn't God's uh, uh, plan for that, uh, for, for, to bring the promise through. But God didn't let that stop him. God didn't say, oh, no, Abraham, you messed it up. I must have picked the wrong guy. Nope. <clears throat> Abraham, even in his foolishness, even in his sin, could not get in the way of the plan of God. Abraham wasn't that powerful. Abraham wasn't that sharp. You see, God was going to have his way. God was going to have his will and his plans accomplished. And it's our job to submit to God to trust in him and to say, Lord, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I don't want to elevate my thinking above God to think that I know or I've got it all figured out. I need to be able to rest and trust that he's good and rest and trust and know that he's sovereign and that he's wise and Lord, help me to grow during this season. I, I could just imagine, I thought a lot about this, about Zechariah being, being mute and perhaps deaf. As he is just contemplating over and over. I mean, it's not like you can sit and have a conversation with the guy. It's not like he can sit there and just talk to you all day. He's just alone in his thoughts for, uh, you know, probably what seemed to him a very long time. I'm, I'm just guessing nine months because that's long, how long it would take for Elizabeth to give birth. And perhaps nine months he's sitting here just thinking about these things over and over again. And, and maybe he's repentant in his heart and he's going, Lord, I... Lord, your way, not my way. Yes, you spoke. I want to trust. And he's thinking about that during this time. And, and, and the reason we know that God had done a work in him during that period is because when the child is born and his mouth is finally opened after he says his name is John, the first thing he says is how awesome God is. He doesn't go, oh, wow, I'm ready to meet my son. Oh, hey, John, oh, he's so cute. Look at him. No, he doesn't go and, 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 and dote on his child immediately. He first and foremost gives honor and praise to God because that's where his heart had been for nine months. It had been just ready to explode. What would your first words be if you were mute and you couldn't speak? What would your first words be if you had been alone in your thoughts, couldn't communicate after being nine, nine months silent? What would be the first thing you would say? Man, I would have so much to say, you guys. <laughs> You're like, oh, Lord, I don't know if Pastor Derek would make it that long. <laughs> Man, I, I, I would be so excited to, 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 to finally be able to speak again. And the first thing that John utters out of his mouth is praise to God. He begins to honor and glorify God and all those people there. Fear and awe fell on all the people, and they knew God's hand was indeed at work. You see, God used this time of silence and his mouth being opened, not only for Zechariah, but there's something bigger at play here. He used it as a way to stir faith in others so they would see God's hand on John. And so because they saw God's hand on John, guess what else they were going to see? The bigger picture. Because what was John's role in the story of Jesus to prepare the way? So they knew God's hand was moving when they saw how Zechariah had been silenced. 
They knew God's hand was moving when they saw this old woman, Elizabeth, who had been called barren. Now she's pregnant. Then they knew God's hand was moving after this baby was born, and they were asked what it was going to be named, and they were like, it's a family name, right? And he's like, no, his name is John. And he writes that, confirming, I'm trusting in the Lord, John. And then immediately his mouth is open, and he just starts going nuts, praising God right there in front of everybody, and everyone goes, whoa, God. Now they know that this child is indeed sent from the Lord. So when this child speaks as an adult, as a man, and he sees Jesus coming as he's been baptizing people for repentance, and he's been talking about the coming of the kingdom of God, and here comes Jesus, and he said, here comes one whose sandals I'm unworthy to even touch and and pull off of his feet, and he baptizes him right there in front of everyone. And then the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove right there in the presence of everyone. And a voice is heard from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. All of this, this whole story, this whole thing, all of it was God's plan. And God's plan does this. God's plans always lead to Jesus. Always. God's plans always lead to Jesus. This is your bottom line this week. Help me share this. Let's preach this. Let's get this out there because you don't need a sign. You don't need a sign. You need Jesus. He will guide you into your future with your struggles and all, with your brokenness and all, with your hopes and dreams being laid at the feet of Jesus when we humbly submit and say, Lord, not my will, but your will. That's not easy for us to do, but it's us submitting and trusting and saying, Lord, I see your hand moving and I see, Lord, how your plans always lead to Jesus. Always, God's plans were always to prepare, to point people to Jesus because Jesus is truly the hope that we need no matter what situation we may be facing. You see, Christ is sufficient. In Him, we find all sufficiency, not partial sufficiency, not like, oh, I need Jesus and then I need something else. No, I need Jesus. I need to begin to delight in who he is. I need to begin to understand the great weight of what he's done for me on my behalf by understanding the fact that I have been the offender. I'm the one who helped put him on that cross because of my sin, but yet he's still somehow in his grace given me this opportunity to be able to serve and glorify and live for him and love him and be with him forever? Why? Because of his great love, because of his grace, because of his mercy. You see, when I rest in that, when I trust in that, it helps me to grow. But I want to figure everything out. I want to control it all. And God says, no, why don't you just trust in me? Because Jesus is always enough. Jesus never stops being enough. It's just saying, your thoughts are are higher than mine, Lord. Your ways are higher than mine. So here's what we need to do, church. We need to submit all of our ambitions, all of our fears, all of our doubts at the feet of Jesus. 
And I know that there's been a lot this year. A lot of things that we would rather forget about in 2020. <laughs> but guess what? Here we are. We're on the tail end of 2020. Woohoo! And we're going 21, right? And I know that it's hard, and I know that, it, man, you look back on it, and some of you, your jobs have been affected. Some of you, your relationships have been impacted. Some of you, your health has been impacted. Maybe your family dynamics have changed. Maybe you've lost loved ones. Maybe you've had some scares along the way. Maybe you've had some financial hardships along the way. Maybe you've wrestled and struggled politically with things either going your way or not going your way. Maybe you've wrestled and struggled this year through navigating all of the anger and the rioting and the frustration and the racial tensions and Maybe you've struggled through all of this and you're wondering, God, where in the world are you? I just want to fix it. I just want to control it. I just want to, I want to make it better. I want it all to go away. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do, but I don't like what's going on now. During this time where we had to stay in our houses, where we've had to wear pieces of cloth over our face, where we've had to wash our hands more times this year than I think any of us have our entire lives. Um, <laughs> and that's not a bad thing for some of us. <laughs> but, but, but it's been tough, and I get that. But God wasn't surprised. God wasn't caught off guard. God wasn't upset going, oh no, what are they going to do? You see, all of these things that the enemy means for destruction, all of these things that the enemy wants to get us to lose our faith and trust in God, all these things the enemy wants to do to try to bust up the church, get people to just, you know, get disconnected and stay at home and not care about one another and not stay connected in Christ-centered community. All these, all these plans, the enemy's probably just reveling and, 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 and laughing and thinking, oh man, this has been a big blow to the kingdom of God. <laughs> and it's been a big victory for his, his agenda. But God saw it all coming. God knew that it was all coming. And you and I were placed in the history of the world during this season to be able to live this out and experience this. God saw fit that you would be born during this time. And what's his plan for you in the middle of all of this? What's his plan for word of grace in the middle of all this? What's his plan for your marriage in the middle of all this? What's his plan for your, 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 your family in the middle of all this? What's his plan for you in the middle of all of this? Can I tell you, God's plans always lead to Jesus. The same thing that caused Zechariah to deepen his trust in the Lord was a period of difficulty, a period of a lot of introspection, a lot of evaluating. Have you evaluated this year? Yeah, you have. Have you had times, a lot of introspection, a lot of asking questions? Yeah, you have. Um, Zechariah probably was also prone to some of the things you've been prone to this year, things like feeling sorry for yourself, getting angry, feeling down on yourself, just wanting to, to fix and change. I just want to speak. I want things to go back to normal. I want to be able to talk again. This isn't right. This isn't fair. Same things you've said perhaps this year. But then when it was the right time, that was just a season. It was just something that as 
Zechariah looks back on, God used it to point people to Jesus, to show them that his hand was on John and that John was going to show them Jesus was the Savior, he was the King, he was the Messiah. You see, God's plans always lead to Jesus. And so here's our job in the middle of all this, and here's the big, mind-blowing, wow, aha moment of this sermon today. Trust in Jesus. I got nothing more than that because he's worthy of our trust because all we need is him. And so what I want us to do for the next few minutes is I want us to just take a moment and recognize and submit our ambitions, our fears, our doubts, our, our, our trophies, our, our hopes, our dreams. Submit all of those to Jesus because God's plans always lead to a deeper recognition of your need for Jesus. And maybe that's what God is doing in you in this season. The things that the enemy was trying to use to take you out are the very things that perhaps today the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to wake up and see it's time to trust, it's time to rest. Because God's plans always lead to a deeper dependence upon Jesus. God's plans always lead to a place just, just like Zechariah, just like Mary, a place of worship. A place of worship. God's plans always lead to Jesus. Let's take this next few moments and let's just spend that time thinking about that, talking to the Lord, worshiping Him, maybe even repenting, whatever God needs to do, let him do it today.